In the following live session recording, Deborah Ackerman, president-elect with the National Baptist Nursing Fellowship, talks about a woman's heart for God, exploring the leadership of Miriam and Deborah. These real-life women in the Bible face challenges personally and in their service for God that are applicable to today's woman in leadership. We will explore the heart, commitment, and humility needed for serving. Let's join Debbie now. So you've heard the introduction, and we always introduce ourselves, don't we, with our names. We put our hand out there, and we give our name, or if you're a hugger, you hug somebody, and then you tell them the name afterwards. They're wondering, who in the world is that? And at times I have been, though, um, introduced as I love to be, a few times a year, my daughter will say, this is my mom. And then she'll say my first name, and it sounds so strange having her say Debbie, because she still calls me mom, and so it seems strange to hear her say that. And then there are a couple others who say, this is my Grammy. That's my favorite. Although my husband calls me Deb or Honey. That's kind of nice, too. This is my, my, my wife, my honey. I love that. So I want you to turn to somebody you don't know and tell them your name. <laughs> So now you have a new BFF, a new friend, and now you know their name, and later you can catch up on all the other information. Just as our names are important to us and the designations that often go along with them, Names were important to God's people. Back in the days when the Hebrew babies were being born, they were given a name with great meaning. And so we're going to look at some of those. We're going to look at three leadership attributes from two Bible women whose names you know. You know the name Miriam. You already are getting a picture in your mind of her. And then Deborah. Now the name Miriam is a bit of a mystery. They really don't know what the meaning was for her. The word rebellion is sometimes attributed to her name. And we know, because we know the rest of the story, that although it may be questionably accurate, there was a bit of rebellion that went on in Miriam's life. And we'll see how that plays out. But there's more about the name Deborah. Deborah means the industrious bee. And it is from the root words pronouncer and formalizer. Well, that's perfect for the woman that God chose to be a ruling judge during those years when Israel was in that, that terrible cycle, before the kings came, when they would go into rebellion, deep rebellion, and then there would be that finally remorseful time, crying out to God who would come and rescue them. He would redeem them and finally give them restoration until the cycle began all over again. And so then there would be a new judge. Well, I rather like that. You know, my parents giving me the name Deborah has always, has always sort of piqued my interest, and especially now in my adult years as I look at that. But as a child, I have to tell you, I have this younger sister, and her name is Melissa, and it means honeybee. She was the sweet one. The well-behaved, the compliant child. And I'll just leave it that I was not. <laughs> and it kind of made me jealous because people would always say she's so adorable and they weren't looking my way. I was the strong-willed one. And my sister Melissa is still very sweet, although she did have a bit of rebellion. She could have been Miriam. But God took over her life and she became a North American missionary in Kentucky working with some of the the poorest people in our nation. But I have loved that as an adult, I can look at this, this um, information called formalizer and pronouncer because I really love when I get to read God's word and then I get to lead others to understand it and know how God wants them to apply it to their, to their lives. And it's given me confidence as I've gone from place to place around our country and around our world to share from God's word. So if your name, perhaps, like Martha, has a biblical meaning, you might enjoy looking it up. And many of our modern names actually have roots in the Hebrew traditions, and so you might want to look those up. 
So speaking of names, the name of this conference is A Woman's Heart for God. Because as we look through, if you look through all the women who served God, you would see the important piece was their heart. They loved God with all of their heart. Our goals in this conference is to look at the lives of these two women as leaders who lived real lives with all the ups and downs of life that we face. Just because God calls you to a leader doesn't mean that everything is going to go smooth. In fact, it may be just the opposite. Just ask anyone who's, who's leading out in any p- particular position. But more importantly, we're going to discover the godly attributes that leaders are to have. A heart for serving, a commitment to the serving, and a humble spirit in serving. These women are, are much like messengers that come out of the past. They come to us with a nugget of truth for us today because just because they lived all those thousands of years ago does not mean that what God told them is not for us today. We look at their qualities and we'll learn about failure and we learn about victory. It's amazing what God will do when we are willing to go deeper in his word. When we're to take the familiar passages, the familiar people of the Bible, and not say, oh yes, I know that, but to look a little deeper. So I want us to open our hearts and mind as if it's a clean page and you have never heard of these women before. I want you to see them in a little bit different way. And before we do that, I want us to look at the definitions of heart. Now as a nurse, I have seen it. I have seen, and I won't describe it, when the chest is open and the heart is pumping, for those of you who might not like that description. But it is so incredible, the human heart, and how God designed that. But he also, And that's why we use, I think, the word heart in many ways. It's not only the vital organ that supplies all of us, all of our bodies, with the life um, in oxygen-bringing blood. It's the, also considered the vital center of one's being, emotions, and our sensibilities. It's about emotional constitution or disposition or even mood, as in, I might say, Beth Ann has had a change of heart. It's also about courage and fortitude. You've all seen the movie Braveheart? It wasn't that fitting for him. He had a very brave heart, so it's a, it's a major descriptor for courage. It's also the capacity that a person has. You know that person in your church who just loves to work with those little three-year-olds? That would not be my place. But you know that that woman has a heart for children. It's the place of love and affection. Like when I say to my Megan, you have my heart, dear. She does. And the most important essential part of something, for example, missions, is at the heart of WMU. So this gives us some reference points for us to use as we think about the qualities of what it means to have a heart for God. So three premises for you. Throughout scripture, God has been at work shaping the hearts and the lives of women for his purposes. He doesn't shape us just to sit around and look good. He shapes us so that we'll do the things he gives us to do. And second, there are strong lessons from the old world for the new world. And these lessons maybe your grandmothers learned. And these are the lessons grandchildren are learning. So we're going to start with Miriam and a heart for service. And so, um, I don't think we're quite ready for them yet. Let's go back one. No, it says we are. When we think about Miriam, what do we know about her? What are the things that, when we say Miriam, you would think of first? Moses' sister. Moses' sister, right. We know that relationship. Anything else that we would think about her? Okay. So let's look at this little video and just get a little bit of a remembrance of... um, Thank you. 
can be killed. One mother has a plan to protect her baby boy. She makes a papyrus basket, coats it with clay and tar to make it float, and places the baby inside. The mother and her daughter, Miriam, put the basket in the reeds along the riverbank. They pray for God to take care of their baby. Miriam is a very brave big sister. She hides and watches over her brother's floating basket. Pharaoh's daughter comes to the river to take a bath. She sees the basket and looks inside. Miriam is worried. What will the princess do to her little brother? The princess picks up the basket and says, I will take care of this baby as my own. Miriam runs to the princess and asks bravely, Would you like me to find a nurse for the baby? Yes, answers the princess. Miriam is happy. Now her brother is safe. She takes him home so their mother can be his nurse. The baby stays with his real family a little while longer. When Miriam's brother is older, their mother brings him to the princess. The princess names him Moses. Moses grows up to become a great leader of his people. You didn't know that Moses had a pet duck. <laughs> So where is Miriam when we first meet her in scripture? She's right in the bulrushes, isn't she? Yes. I want you to picture yourself on the edge of a river in the bulrushes. Now we have other things that grow here. I don't know if we have bulrushes in Georgia along the river, but we have other things. And so if you are down by a river flowing near your home and you are peering out what would that feel like? I want you to picture yourself there. Maybe it's not the mighty Nile River, but it's one of those. So see yourself crouched down. And what do you see as you do that, as you're looking at your river? Probably alligators. Okay. <laughs> alligators. Snakes. Bacteria. Bacteria. Yep, there's all kinds of things in those river. Yes. So here is she's watching out for her baby brother. We don't know if her mother said, stay down there. I imagine mom was much too emotional to be able to have a plan about that and certainly not being able to bear watch that baby. Can you imagine that? You're a mother. Can you imagine that? So what is the first quality that we see emerging in Miriam here? Courage. That's right. We see her being courageous. She's courageous because not only the threat of, I think they have crocodiles there, crocodiles and snakes, because we know they, we've heard the snake stories, and all the other things, but what if she were caught watching this baby? What would have happened if the authorities, Pharaoh's guards came and found that that family had put the baby in? They could have all been imprisoned or killed for doing that, for keeping that baby. So the next quality that we see in Miriam is that she is quick thinking, isn't she? Would you have had, if you were that little girl crouching in the river, watching your baby floating away, and you see the princess come? That would be like President Trump's daughter. Would you be running right up and say, I know a wet nurse. She is quick thinking, isn't she? She does a risky thing. She could have had more problems for her family just by speaking up and saying that. But here she goes. She, at an early age, identified a need, saw the challenge, and boldly offered a solution. I think God was at work in her young life, wasn't he? Have you thought about that before with Miriam? God preparing her for future leadership. So I want you to think back to your younger years. What was God doing in your younger years to shape you for the ways you're serving him now? 
think about that. Maybe you did a lot of babysitting and that's why you love working with preschoolers. Maybe you had to take care of your younger siblings growing up. And so you know all about what is going on in those grade school years because you had to help them with their homework. You had to help get them off to school because maybe your mom was working. Maybe you loved being in your youth group or your act teens group or GA group and you loved being the one who led the prayer calendar or the one who led the study. Maybe those were things God was using to prepare you for now. Think about that. Maybe you were the ones who anytime they wanted to know if somebody wanted to go on a mission trip, your hand went up first. Even though you didn't have the funds yet, you knew God would provide because that was something already you were loving to do. Have you thought about a way that God's been preparing you to do what you're doing now? Okay. We've looked at how God prepared Miriam for leadership and thought about how God has prepared you to be a leader. So I want you to think about the qualities that should be found in a godly leader. Think about those for a minute. And Martha, would you like to write them on our, our, um, our big post-it over there? I've left a marker for you. So what are some leadership qualities that we want to see in women leaders, godly qualities? What would they be? Courage. Courage. You've had to have a little bit of that, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Kindness. This is beginning to sound like the fruits of the spirit here. Good. Have a passion for it. A passion for it. Yes. Humility. Humility. Commitment, good. Not pretty full? Good list? Can you think of anything we've forgotten? Endurance. Endurance, okay. Go the distance with the job that you're given. Anything else? Endurance. Endurance. Are you all seeing yourself in this picture? Feeling like you have all that? Obedience. Obedience. Good. <coughs> love for God and others. when you think about leaders that you have known in your life that have influenced you, who've mentored you, these are the things you think about, isn't it? And that's what you, when you look for the next leader, you hope that they'll be there. Thank you, Martha. Well, WMU has set a, a list of qualities that they want to see in their leaders, so let me just show you those and let's see if they, uh, if they match as well. First of all, there's that commitment that we talked about and you listed. There is the commitment to Jesus, his church, and his mission. That commitment, that's threefold. First to Jesus, then to his church, and then to his mission. And you can't leave any of those out, can you? Then there's that giftedness to serve. We want our leaders to have the gift of leadership. And if you look at the spiritual gifts that God gives, administration is one of them, teaching is another. And so this giftedness is the abilities and spiritual gifts that match the need of the leadership position. If you have the gift of teaching, you may not want to be the one who is in charge of hospitality because maybe you're not good at that part. And so you want to line those things up, and God wants us to see how those fit. Also, a visionary outlook. That ability, leaders need to have the ability to see ahead for the place God has put them in leadership. That desire to be visionary, to not be satisfied with where we are, but where we're going. What was Annie Armstrong's motto? go forward. Right. She did not believe in standing still and hence WMU was born all those years ago with her at the helm. Did I get everything floated in? I thought I had. Alright, here's another. T. 
team-oriented attitude, the ability to work well with others. There's no I in the word team. And so we want to be sure that we have that mentality of working together. The leader can't have all the ideas. In fact, she needs to be the one who gathers the ideas from others. There also needs to be an openness to new ideas. Not just their own way. Or how things have always been done. That's a killer, isn't it? Well, we've always done it that way. Leaders need to be the first to listen to new ideas. It may not be the one that takes and the one that you go with, but you need to listen to those, to be open to those things, and have everyone on the team that you lead with to contribute to that. Also, a leader needs to be dependable and trustworthy with their team that they work with, with the church staff. In all of their relationships, they need to be able to be trusted, to be relied on, for, to do what they say they will do. And the next one is important, too. They need to be, have the leadership skills. They need to be trained and willing to continue having ongoing training. You know, in nursing, we have to have continuing education units. Any of you need those in your professions? Yes. And they're mandatory. It's not a, if you feel like it. It's mandatory. And we understand, and sometimes I would go to nursing conferences, and it wasn't so much that I got all this new information, but it affirmed that what I was doing was right. And I was right on with that, which is so important in medicine. I was in a church to do um, associational leadership training for GAs, and the WMU director came up to me um, for that church, and she said, I have finally convinced my GA leaders to be here tonight, so you better have a good conference. She looked at me like my mother used to look at me. No pressure there, and I said, well, I'll, I'll do my best. And I knew who her leaders were, because they came and they sat in the back row like this. So I thought, all right, Lord, you'll have to be in charge of them because I'm just going to go with what you've given me. And at the end of it, and it was two hours of watching these ladies' arms finally start to relax and do some activities, and at the very end they came up to me and said, we didn't know we needed this. We didn't know there were new things every year coming out. We didn't know about that. We thought what we were doing is all we were supposed to do. And so that ongoing training is so important, but you've got to be willing. There needs to be that willingness for it in our leaders. WMU, like other parts of our church, whether it's in discipleship or women's ministries, we are committed to providing conferences like this, whether it's in your state or at national, that will equip the leader to be even better the next year, to go beyond, to reach that high water mark. As adult women, God has given us a place for us to serve. And for many of us, it will be in leadership positions. And so scripture starts now with um, Miriam. After the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea on dry land and Pharaoh's army has been drowned as God sent the waters back over them. So when we see there's this, this gap in time, you know, we know that Moses, what he did, and he was sent away, and then he comes back to rescue the people, and finally he leads them out. And that's where we pick up with Miriam again. And so I want to read you a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 15. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel, that's a tambourine, in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them these words, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So what do we learn here now about all grown up adult Miriam? She's a leader. She is a leader, isn't she? She's a leader of women. And it was very clear then that women related to women and men related to men. You know, they didn't even worship together. So she's a leader of women. She is a songstress, isn't she? 
she wrote the song, she sang to them, and she got them to join in. I think it takes a lot of courage to play a tambourine while you're singing. I once went to a Hispanic church and everyone was handed an instrument when they arrived and I got the tambourine. I have no rhythm. It did not work out well for me, so I just kind of shook it a little bit. So we learn that she was a leader of women. And she was a leader of women in spite of obstacles. Think about the obstacles that Miriam faced. And we might find some of these same obstacles that loom in our lives that we have to overcome as leaders. First of all, God shaped Miriam's heart to serve him in spite of a history of a dysfunctional family. Lack of education and even having been a slave. So those were three things that kind of loomed in her past that we don't think about. But sometimes we allow our past to be an excuse for not serving the Lord where he's calling us. Or if we do serve, we let our past excuse us for not being able to serve the Lord fully, thinking that maybe others are thinking about our past. And sometimes the past even comes up and it repeats itself in the present. And our own family now is facing dysfunction, which we had thought we could avoid. And we let the shame of that keep us from serving with our very best. But what did God say through Paul? That when we are forgiven, we are a new creation. All things are behind us now, and God has a purpose for us. There's nothing better than meeting somebody who's come to Christ as an adult, who's made a 180-degree turn, and they're willing to let the God, the God of the universe take them and be all that God planned for them to be way back even before they were born. And you see that huge impact that they make because forgiveness cleans it all away. I love that. And second, God shaped Miriam's heart to serve him regardless of being a woman. In scripture, God affirmed his call to women to lead out in specific ways that he would have women serve him. WMU and Women's Ministry provides wonderful avenues for serving the Lord, for leading preschoolers, for leading our children, students, adults on mission. He encourages us. He's equipping us to lead our church, to learn, to pray, to give, and to go. And WMU's mandate is making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. Isn't it wonderful that God gave WMU that mandate? I love that. And third, God shaped Miriam's heart to serve him even though she was poor. Sometimes you hear the excuse, I just don't have much. I don't have enough to be able to do that. Does God not provide for that? We should never let lack of resources keep us from the service that God is calling us to do with him. If you've ever felt like God is just urging you to go on a mission trip and you don't have enough money, do we sometimes say, I can't go? And have you ever said, okay, God, I'm just going to lay this before you, and then you get a check from the electric company giving you back $350? That happened to me when I moved to Myrtle Beach. I wanted to go on this trip to Mexico, and I thought, I don't know. I said to Brad, it's $350. He said, well, if God wants you to go, then he'll provide it. And the electric company said, somehow, back in New Hampshire, too much money had been paid, and they gave us $350. That was how much money I needed to give to secure that. So Brad and I just said, well, I guess I'm going to Mexico. Because God does provide. He does it for us, for all our needs personally and for the places he calls us to serve him. If you have any doubts about it, look at 2 Corinthians 9.8 that says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. How many alls were in that sentence, that scripture? Four alls and one every. So what are some ways God has provided for you as a leader? Can you think of a way that God has provided for you? It may not have been physical. It might have been more an abstract thing that he's provided. But he is our provider. He is our Jehovah Jireh. There isn't anything that we need in any place of leadership that he can't give us. 
So let's look at Miriam's heart now. He shaped her heart to serve him with her abilities. I meet women in our churches who are afraid if they say yes to the Lord, that he'll ask them to do something that is way outside their ability. But I don't think God works that way. We may not think it's our ability, but sometimes God gives us an ability we never thought we have. Have any of you done the spiritual gifts test? Any of those tests? First time I took that. Okay, somebody has. All right, and knows they have. Okay, you're talking about doing that. Okay. We were talking about the yeah, that's and our gifts do change. Well, the first time I took the, the test, I thought surely as a nurse I would be high on mercy. I had a minus two. <laughs> but my patients always got well because I'm a buck up nurse and I said, yes, we're going to do this. And they got better. My husband, on the other hand, is the merciful person, so it's good there's one in our family. And he's worked for 17 years with addicts and alcoholics and the homeless population. And in a way, it's a very thankless job, but I think God has blessed him and given him a joy in it, um, even though, you know, we'd love to think there were thousands who got sober and stayed there. That's not the case. Many did, a small number of many compared to all that have been through there. But at one point, the director came to me of the, the shelter, and she said, we need a godly woman to do a godly Bible study. I said, I hope you find one. <laughs> because you see, because there's a history of alcoholism and addictions in my family, that wasn't a happy place for me. I was not comfortable there. But I went home, and I said to Brad, Libby wants somebody to teach the women. And he said, well, what are you waiting for? not what I wanted to hear and I said I, I just don't think it's me but you know I couldn't let go of it and it was me and I'm saying to Brad I don't have mercy you're good with the guys but I don't have mercy but you know the first week when I said yes and I met it, met these six women it was like God just ripped open my heart and poured it in I'm thinking I love them and I don't know all their names yet but God does that we worry I worried how am I going to react to these women they're going to know and all they saw was Jesus' love for them. Because it wasn't about what I loved. It was about who Jesus loves. He does that. God shaped Miriam's heart to serve him with her abilities. Some women are afraid because they think the person that has had their job previously, they can't live up to that. Have you ever had to follow somebody with huge shoes? Size 12 shoes? and you know yours take up half that room, that is hard. Every leader at the highest level feels that way. I felt that way when I was elected to National WMU. I mean, my predecessor is so fun, and that's probably not how I was described. That's fun. <laughs> that was such fun. And that's just not my personality to have I mean, she'd kick off her shoes and just get down, and you know me, I'm polishing mine. <laughs> we cannot be the person behind. God wants to use us the way we are. That's what God does with us. We can look to Miriam, who had her humble beginnings, but advanced in serving God through a matter of time. So God wants to use us just as he created us, with the abilities that we have, the abilities that he's shaping in us to serve him. He does not want to turn out a duplicate of somebody else. He wants your uniqueness to shine. And by the way, um, the honeybee in my family, she's really my best friend. I really do love her. She lives near me now. She retired from Kentucky a couple years ago, and, and we spend a lot of great time together. So this commitment to serve him, this is what would take Miriam to a high level of responsibility. She came from a godly family. You remember, that was a time of great rebellion and great enslavement. But Miriam's family was true to God, according to scripture. So when we're asked to take a higher level of leadership, 
and we sense God leading us, we don't have to hold back because we're women or we feel unequipped. We can be sure that when we make the commitment that God's commitment, that's the other side of the commitment coin, his commitment to us will be fulfilled. If he says, I'm going to provide for you, he will. Now we know he did that for, for Miriam. Micah 6.4 says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. These are the words of the Lord to the prophet Micah. Miriam was chosen by God. Did you hear that? Chosen by God, along with Aaron, to assist in Moses' leadership. 1 Chronicles 6.3, in the list of all of the tribes and the descendants, it lists and says this, The children of Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. This is the tribe of Levi. Miriam came from the Levitical tribe, so she would have heard all of the, the information that was given only to those who were priests. So God used that. See, she put, he put her in the right family to be the sister to Moses, to be the sister to Aaron, to become the first high priest. And women in, in Chronicles are only listed if they were prominent and known by all the people to be listed with sons. And there she is. Miriam could rely on God from the edge of the Nile and crossing the Red Sea and all the way across a desert. Well, before we come to complacent about her, let's look further at Miriam's leadership story. Because if there were a movie, this would be the moment when the music turns dark and threatening. Because here we are, two years and several months into um, their journey towards the promised land, and in Numbers chapter 12, there's an ugly leadership moment. Every leader has at least one ugly moment. Sorry. We do. And this is right after God gave the rainstorm of quail. Remember that? They were saying, is all we're going to get is manna? And God said, you want meat? And, and it's just like a downpour like we had today. I bet there was thunder and lightning from God too with those quail, don't you think? And here they are. So Numbers 12, 1 and 2 says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he'd married a Cushite. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And if you had your Bibles, you would underline this line. And the Lord heard this. That's a good thing to remember that the Lord hears our ugly conversations as well as our other conversations that we want him to hear. So what's going on here in this section? Is there a little uh, jealousy, would you say? A little resentment? Criticism? But wait a minute. Moses has been married to this Cushite woman almost forever, right? This is not, you know, like sixth wife down the road. This is the one he married way before he even came to Egypt. This is his wife of long standing. So what is going on here? We have to look back at chapter 11, and it tells us what the problem is. Because you see, Moses goes to God and he says, I can no longer bear these people's complaints. I would rather die than listen to one more whining episode from them. So just let me die. He's done with the drama. Have you ever felt that way as a leader? I'm done with the drama. I think we've all felt that way. Yes. So listen to what God's response was to Moses in verse 16 and 17. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. And I wonder if Miriam and Aaron were thinking about this. Maybe they're thinking, who does Moses think he is? Asking for more help. He has us. We are the assistants to him. We've been sharing all the work. Aren't we the leaders? Don't we get all that spirit stuff too from God? And what if some of those 70 people take away our prestigious positions. So what's going on here? Jealousy, insecurity, 
A little pride being uh, nudged around there. I think that's the root of it, is the pride. And sometimes that happens to leaders is they just become prideful in all they've done and then somebody wants somebody else to come in and share what they've been doing. What do you mean you want her to do that? That's my job. What do you mean you're going to take this off my shoulder? I like having everything like this. I think they were thinking that. And we see that God's doing that. And so what does God say? The Lord at once said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out of the tent meeting, all three of you, isn't that like being called to the principal's office? Okay. So the three of them went out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance, and he summoned them. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. This stops me in my spiritual tracks. Sometimes God has to remind us of his word, of the things he wants us to do, the obedience that he calls of us that it's up to him to make the changes around us and not up to us to decide how he should change things, the plans that he should make. So he said, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. We need to think about that as leaders, not to speak against those that God gives us to serve with. God is saying here, Moses is humble and you aren't. You're prideful. But let's finish the story. You remember what happens to Miriam? Yeah, she breaks out in leprosy. But Moses doesn't hold what she's been saying against her, does he? He pleads before God to restore her. And God said, well, we're going to have a little disciplining here. There's going to be this week. But the whole nation of Israel waits because they love Miriam. They admire her. And they seem to understand, because they've been so rebellious, that this is a momentary lapse and we need to be that way. We need to support our, our leaders who have momentary lapses, perhaps, in judgment that way. When pride gets in our way as leaders, God will discipline, and he will forgive, and he will let us move on serving him. And Miriam learned to trust that. There's a wonderful quote that urges us to be Moses-like in our leadership. Those who are most humble have been most in God's presence. Think about that. Andrew Murray, the great theologian, said, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Moses, I think, understood that. God is all. Disappearance of self Pride gets in the way of that. So today we learn from Miriam that God takes us just as we are. He leads us through experiences and training to equip us for leadership. And he's merciful to us when we're not at our best, restoring us to be better leaders. Remember that Miriam is remembered in First Chronicles not for her failures, but for her great worth to God. Any questions about Miriam? She went on to serve the Lord for most of the years that they wandered. All right, let's look at Deborah. God has used women in leadership position for centuries not to supplant the roles he gave to men, such as to be our pastors, but to complement them. And Deborah is a perfect example of this in Scripture. And this is the setting in which we see Deborah, who was a judge. So I'm going to read a little more Scripture for you here so we can get an understanding of that. In Judges chapter 4, 
the first three verses read, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, a former judge, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And they cried out to the Lord for help. I would have too, wouldn't you? And here's where we find Deborah's introduction in the next verses. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramahan Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So what does this all tell us about Deborah? What do you see in these verses? What did you hear? She's a prophet. She's a prophet. Right. She is respected. And she is a wife, yes. She's been sought out. People go to her. Leadership. Leadership. She is the leader. The judges were not just judges like we think of them, like when we have to go to traffic court or something, you know. Been there, done that once. Um, it was just a speeding ticket. It was late at night, I, you know, I'm confessing. It was right after a WMU meeting. I was anxious to get home. <laughs> And this was their pre-king years. So judges were much more important than we think of. This is like Supreme Court judges, where they ruled the land, the one judge at that time. So if we think about the background, and the scripture tells us that whenever the Lord raised up a judge, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their, of their enemies as long as that judge lived. I would think the people of Israel have been praying for the judges if one died. Get us a new judge, Lord. And the Lord would relent under their leadership for the people as the judge came into power there. But when the judge died, the people reverted. So they would have this great judge leading them. They really were... They just didn't have it together, those Israelites. I mean, we all think we would have done better, but maybe not. But they would become even more corrupt than the generation before them. Isn't that amazing? It reminds me of alcoholism. You know, a person will get sober and will be in Brad's groups for about six months. And when they relapse, it's as if there's six months hadn't even been there. In fact, as if they had been addicted and drinking or drugging during those six months. It was the same way because evil has a way of, of just tamping down and waiting for us to break loose like that. So Deborah ruled during this years of Israel's finally crying out to God for deliverance. Who wants to be a leader when everyone is at their worst? Who wants to take that position? Will you come and work with the GAs? They're wild, they throw food, they don't behave. Okay, maybe that wouldn't be a best fit for me, you're thinking. Or how about this lady's Bible study? They can't agree on anything. Um, they're late all the time. All they want to do is gossip. Yeah, I want to be that leader, don't you? <laughs> but here was Deborah, willing to do what God called her to do, even when things were at their worst. Well, we learn more about Deborah from the defining story in Judges about Barak. You all remember that story, probably. So let me tell you what the scripture says. Deborah sent for Barak from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. <coughs> Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. So what are these verses telling us? First of all, Deborah was willing and available to be a judge for the Lord, even in the time of captivity and cruel oppression. Willingness is huge. Sometimes we have to set so much aside to be willing to do something hard for the Lord. And second, she demonstrated strength and determination and military wisdom. 
And remember what it said earlier? When a judge was appointed, God was with them. I think she was relying on that in verse 18. God will be with me. And third, she was a mother to Israel. She loved her country. She loved nurturing them. She loved guiding them. And she was willing to discipline them. She also prophesied a woman would be the one to take out Sisera. And she did not mean herself. And in that was the humility that we see in Deborah. She was willing for Barak to be the hero, to be the great military leader known for this, this victory. But when she said it would be a woman, she didn't mean herself. Remember the little lady in the tent with the peg, the tent peg and the hammer? And she put it to Sisera's head. You probably won't have to do that in any of the places of leadership that you're in because that's pretty messy and final. But we do have to make some hard decisions. And sometimes God gives in to the hands of another and we need to let go of thinking it's all about us. It needs to be about others out there and seeing them have the joy. Just imagine how Jael felt when she was given that opportunity to win a battle for God. That is a great thing. So with this information, let's look at why God may have chosen Deborah as a leader over his people. Commitment was her defining attribute. She had a commitment to God first, a commitment to his people, and a commitment to the nation. She was willing to take up the slack for what others would not do or felt too weak to do alone. She was willing to do whatever God put before her. The question for us as leaders, are we willing to do whatever God puts before us? Sometimes we look at it and we think, well, that's not in my job description. Even from a nursing perspective, there were many things not in my job description. But we do what needs to be done, the expedient things, don't we? Yes, we do that. And we do that as Christians. We do that as followers of God, the things he put before us. Second, Deborah had a heart for God. During the time of Israel's rebellion, her heart had stayed true to the Lord. Remember, they were at their worst. But apparently she was at her best because God chose her. He looked into her heart and he saw her faithfulness. Even when others turn away and they get on that slippery slope of, of rebellion and faithfulness, she stayed true. You know, negativity is very contagious. Do you see that sometimes in groups? One person starts complaining, pretty soon everyone's ragging on the same thing, aren't they? And you're thinking, what happened here? We came in to study the Bible. The question to us is, how faithful will I be when others turn away from God. When others turn away from the purposes God has given us. When others turn away from missions. When others say, we don't need WMU anymore. And third, Deborah was a humble leader. She didn't seek credit or glory. She willingly offered the victory to somebody else, the recognition to others. So do I direct recognition to others, or do I seek it for myself? When we feel we might not be up to leading in the places God has shown us, or in other places, remember Deborah. If we have these qualities as followers of Jesus and as children of God, we can be as effective as Deborah was in our leadership. So when the choice comes, choose to be a Deborah not a Barak. So let's learn from what Israel saw in Deborah to help us be effective leaders. First of all, they saw that she had the support of her husband. Behind every good married woman leader is a supportive and encouraging husband, or we hope so. And I am so thankful for my husband. But the inverse must be true. Also, the good wife needs to support the supportive husband. 
Leaders must demonstrate healthy family relationships and mutual support. That doesn't mean the family's perfect, but it means that we are offering support to those who are supporting us, and even some who don't support us. My husband has helped me over the years at every level in WMU. He has collated papers, he's lugged boxes and books, he has gone and got the food, he set it out, he's even served it at times. He has purchased things, he has even had to be in charge of decorations. That was a real stretch. <laughs> Support is to be mutual. So if you are married, how are you supported and encouraged? And if not married, are there family members or a close friend who is your supporter, your encourager? We all need those people, don't we, in our lives? We need that person who says, I know this isn't what you thought it would be, but honey, you did a great job. Or your friend says to you, you worked so hard, you did great. And it, you know, just those few words just mean so much. So I want you to turn to somebody and tell them a word of encouragement. All right, that's enough encouragement. We don't want too much. Don't get carried away. So Deborah was a prophetess, and prophets and prophets were people who God spoke through. They were the Old Testament mediator between God and his people. It was a conduit for them hearing from God. And God spoke, and Deborah listened, and she obediently spoke his words to others. She never said, this is what I say. She said, this is what God says. This is what God says to you. Samuel was the only other person who was both judge and prophet. As you say in the South, that was high cotton. Samuel was the other one, that's right. And Deborah was the fifth judge of Israel, and she was known for hearing from God to extend counsel and to render judgments. Remember the palm of Deborah? She's described as sitting under a palm. Palms in Old Testament times represented sustenance for life, rest and refuge, strength and renewal. And the palm in, in scripture is always the date palm. And what's unique about that date palm is that it has the deepest root of all the trees. And that root, it's a main root that goes all the way down until it finds water. And that's why you see them at oases in the desert. And so when they're sitting under a palm and it produces these dates, you know that there's a source way down of that. And I think that there are applications to our lives as Christians is that we always need to go deeper. We need to have that one root that goes directly to the source of living water from our God. And that's what Deborah did. She was willing to go deeper with God. One commentator said that when the scripture said that she held court under the palm, that the Israelites went to her to have their disputes decided, that it meant all of the Israelites went there. She, as the ruling judge, was the only one that people went to for their disputes. And another commentator said that some of the prophets of that day could have gone to others. They could have gone to Isaiah, but they went to Deborah. Sometimes a guy just has to go talk to a gal and get that soft answer, maybe. Deborah went on to lead for another 40 years after that crucial battle that we talked about. She brought the Israelites into the time of restoration of faith because of that battle. That was a defining moment, and we don't hear much of her again at all. But she was known for her love of country because it says villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back, and this is her song, until Deborah arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. So they really saw her as the matriarch of their country, sort of like Queen Elizabeth is seen in England. There's no record of her having children 
but she clearly nurtured a nation to God. So let's look at the prime example of her leadership. And you heard the story with Barak, but let's talk about some of these points. Who chose Barak for the battle? Remember from the scripture? It was God. She said, God said you are to go. She sent for Barak and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. So based on Barak's response, remember what he said? Yeah, only if you go with me. I mean, think about your pastor for a moment. Do you think he's going to say to you, Well, I'll go on the mission trip, but only if you go? You hope not, but would that make you wonder a little bit about his leadership? Yet leaders need to be not saying, well, I won't go alone. Has God ever asked you to go someplace alone? I went to the Philippine Islands a couple years ago, and I had to go alone. I was a little concerned. But I figured there was room for God in the plane there. There was actually room for a lot of people in that plane. But you know, we can go anywhere that we know God is going with us. When he sends us, he doesn't just send us out. He is always with us. Leaders need to also see ahead to the obstacles that come when people are not on board with it. And you just know that this is what God wants. She says, certainly I'll go with you, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours as the Lord wants. He will deliver Sisera into others' hands. So we need to think about what is plan B if this is not coming all together. And where will the honor of victory be attributed in what we're trying to do, what God has given us? But then there's the thought, God already knew, didn't he? Nothing surprises him. He knew that Barak was going to say, I I don't think I can do that without you. Because she had something else she was supposed to do in that battle, remember? So it's maybe this was God's plan A all along. So we got to get over when somebody says, I just can't do that. And we end up having to rearrange to know that God was already there. He already knew and that this is his better plan. So she said, when finally the day came, she said, go. This is the day the Lord has given sister into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So then Barak gets busy, and he goes. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and army, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. It's important here to note that Deborah is in constant communication with God. This was a pivotal battle. And because of this, she was formidable, and she was strong, and she was wise. Can you picture yourself on a battlefield? Were any of you in the military? Well, I've met some women soldiers, and they're pretty formidable. But I have trouble picturing myself on a battlefield. So when we think about that, but everyone has their own battlefield, don't they, in the places that we're leaders, things that we have to work through. So we need to be in constant communication with God about the things he's given us. And once Barak got going, he was formidable too. And one of the things that has struck me is that probably the Israelites, because they were overtaken, by, they were under their court, they probably didn't have swords. So where do you think they got the swords to kill everyone? The abandoned chariots from the enemy. So they took care of them with their own things because God provided what they needed. He does all that. So some correlations for us as leaders. Like Deborah, we need to listen for God's leading in leadership. For the choices of who and what and where that we'll be doing. And like Deborah, we need to listen for God's timing. We see that through scripture. Remember Joshua? The battle plan of walking around Jericho and blowing trumpets? Nobody in their right mind would come up with that. But they waited. I'm sure they were tempted. Do we have to do this one more day? But they knew they needed to do it God's way. And Jesus, he often said, my time has not come. And so timing is important. We need to listen to God for that. We can do that by praying and with talking with those those leaders that we work together with. And even scripture will often tell us when. And like Deborah, we need to foster strong relationships with others, with other leaders, 
with other leaders of our church, like our staff, with our church family. We need to foster relationships at the places that we relate, at our state levels and our associational levels. And we need to foster relationships with those who are willing to serve with us and even those who are unwilling to take on more responsibility. Like Deborah, we need to have good communication, communicating clearly and conscientiously, kindly with our words, wisely, respectful communication at all levels with church leaders and having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with other leaders, <coughs> bringing your team together and staying connected with good communication. It just doesn't work if you get your team together and you never talk to them for another two months and just assume everything's going well. And then for the church, the church loves to hear what you all are doing in your groups, whatever group that is. Anyone here a GA leader? Oh, good. Okay, yeah. They love to hear what the girls are doing, don't they? When we came to this church, um, I'd been a WME director in a church up north, and so after I'd been there a couple years, they asked if I'd do the job, and I thought, well, I'm kind of the new girl on the block, but nobody wanted that job. So three months into it, uh, taking that job, uh, the church secretary called and said, we're having our business meeting tomorrow night. You have to give a report. So I quickly wrote down all the things that had happened with GAs and mission friends and all that. And so when I got up to give the report, I told them all the things that all the age levels were doing and what we'd done churchwide, how much was given to Annie Armstrong, all those things. And at the end, there was silence. I thought, I guess they didn't like the report. And then they started to clap. But it wasn't about me. It was because they didn't know the children were doing these things. And afterwards, they said, so the GAs went to the homeless shelter? I said, mm-hmm. And the women went to the school and gave a, um, a party for the teachers? Mm-hmm. Oh, why didn't we know? Well, now you know. I think those reports are just important, and they, and they make them realize. And you know, membership went up in all our organizations because they'd heard about the great mission things that were happening. Verbal reports are great. Multimedia reports are important. And websites are important. And so like Deborah, we need to give God the glory. Deborah's song, all of it gives God the glory in Judges chapter 5. It begins with praise. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I'll praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And then she ends with praise. So may all your enemies perish, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then it says the land had peace for 40 years. Imagine that in the place you're a leader. You work so hard for a year, and then it's peaceful for 40 years. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay. Deborah's leadership led to peace for God's people. Miriam had a song, and Deborah had a song. Think about what your song is. What is your song of giving glory to God? And so we learn from Deborah what centuries later the Apostle Paul wrote to the, first, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Be unshakable. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so glad that Miriam and Deborah listened to you and that you gave us a look into their lives so that we too can take on the, the qualities of leadership that you equip these women for. It reminds us that we can be godly leaders if we listen to you, if we give you all of our heart, if we follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, and if we're just willing to trust you in that. I pray, Father, for each woman here that she will be that godly leader that you want her to be. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.